Bees use dance to communicate with the other bees about the amount, direction and distance of food, like nectar and pollen. When given cocaine, the bees will greatly exaggerate the amount of food they have found. Welcome to two-thirds focused something. I'm Rasmus. Not focused. It's two-thirds setting up shop. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Dan. <laughs> I was waiting for Jan to say I'm Jan. Hello. Well, he, he he pretended he said something. He's doing the rhythm, but not the script. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. My teleprompter doesn't work. How the fuck you doing, Dan? I'm all right. We're in February. Yes, we are in February. It feels like <laughs> the, it feels like the year's already six months gone. But yeah, we're in February now. The hell that was January has gone. So that that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Think things are moving forwards. How's everybody else? Jan's just quaffing what looks like a large mead or whiskey, but with foam on top. So that must be oh, some would... Germanic beer in a whiskey glass. <laughs> that, that would be nice. That's yeah, actually an IPA. Oh. I'm... oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that reaction from the both of them. <laughs> well, when, when Dan was over here, we had quite a bit of a quest to try to find a place in Oslo that actually sells mead. Just because I, Dan I was... has this fantasy about the, no. Norway. I'm sorry. It, it's not just my my thing. Like, Jan, if you were to say what was the drink that Vikings drank, like based on any form of popular culture, which I'm well aware is not truth, but popular culture would state that Vikings drank mead. And given the fact that, hey, they could brew it back in the time when there's just snow everywhere and no industry, I naturally assumed, because, you know, I'm British, that this would still be the national drink of Norway. Yeah, apparently not. So we we went on a massive search to find some, managed to get some, which was exceptionally nice, and was manufactured mm. in Arizona. <laughs> That's fantastic. That, yeah, that was the closest we could get to traditional mead, and yeah, it was that was where it's manufactured. And the guy behind the bar kept trying to tell me that you you don't get high volume mead because of the amount of bees required to produce it, which I I understand. Yeah, but squeezing out those bees is really hard work. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I, it still didn't explain to me why it just didn't manufacture it in Norway. And then Raz gave me a bit of a history and politics lesson on Norway, which was interesting. So, I yeah. Did. Yeah, you did. You, you explained all about how the um, the ban on alcohol, or not the ban on alcohol, the increased oh, that part. alcohol, yes. and the ban yeah. on anything to do with any form of pornography or anything to do with with the sex trade which i found hilarious that you you've got this nation of vikings who are known for going out into other countries and drinking a huge amount and expressing their physical emotions in brutal ways (laughs) and then that's all stripped away from them by the puritans and yeah uh, yeah. it was a tough time yeah now you that's why they went that's why they went out and invaded other countries no 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 this is like a voice night out (laughs) This is, yeah. this is long after. It, it sounds almost oh. like, you know, the country grew up, it went through its bachelor phase, and then it, it kind of, you know, got a bit older, and now its main export is snow and fish and people to Electric Sweden. Cars. No, 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 fuck off. I was, I was, I was very <laughs> careful to make sure that I didn't say anything about <laughs> They're made in Sweden. They are not made in, or is it Denmark? One or the other. They're not made in Norway. Yeah. Anyway, Jan, how's your week? Good. 
good. I'm having my uh, celebratory beer at the moment. Again, I went we're not out... killing anyone at work? No, 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 no. It's not, not that bad. Actually, this is, uh, <laughs> work has been, well, busy as always. Mm -hmm. But I actually had a emergency at a customer, like one of a good customers with something not working. So I got to play service technician for a little while, which oh. I have not been doing for a pretty long time. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I managed to solve the problem. That's why I'm in a good mood. Oh, that's good. So yeah, I went to north of Frankfurt on Tuesday. And then I stayed there till yesterday in the afternoon at the customer. And we were trying to get one of the prototypes running. So there's there's pretty big quantities of that. And it wasn't sure what the exact issue was, but we were able to fix it in the end. So I started work in a good mood this morning. I was able to convey the good news over to Japan. They were happy. We were happy. Everybody's happy. And then all hope, all hell broke loose. And we got like, I don't know how many inquiries today. So I stayed busy all day, which is perfect because nothing is worse than having a lot of action in the morning and then like nobody calling or writing an email in the afternoon. And just sitting there and just fiddling thumbs and going like, okay, so yep, it's five minutes later. It's still another two hours till I get to get home. <laughs> so doing was, was doing pretty well. And I hope tomorrow will be the same. Fingers crossed. So yeah, exactly. um, but, have, mm -hmm. have you listened to Hello from the Magic Tavern, Jan? No, I have not. So it, I, I am like four years behind on episodes. Hello from the Magic Tavern. I mean, I could repeat the intro to explain what it is. But basically, a guy's travel guy travels through the portal and ends up in like a weird fantasy world type thing. Anyway, in the fantasy world, they play a version of Dungeons and Dragons, but they they live in the fantasy world, so they don't play Dungeons and Dragons. They play a game called Offices oh and Bosses. And they pretend oh, to go that is hilarious. In, in an office and like, and all this kind of thing. And it, it, to me, you, you said you got to play service technician for the morning. And it just straight away for me just reminded me like, oh, I'm going to be a level three service technician. And I've got to roll for initiative. Do I have enough, you know, whatever to solve the problem? Do I have enough you know, knowledge? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Have, I, have I learned the turn it on and off again skill to the required level in order to get this machine to work? Um, oh, one, oh, you lose your finger. <laughs> ab absolutely. And it was it just, yeah. But for those of you who haven't listened to it, Hello from the Magic Tavern is it's good fun. It's a bunch of American improv artists doing a podcast that's completely made up and irreverent. But it has some fantastic characters in it and voice actors and things like that. I haven't listened to it for quite a while because, as I say, I'm like four years behind. And so you dip in and out every now and then. But I finished like the first three seasons, I think. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and to finish up before I forget, I also, mm. Steph and I are going to ACDC. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because I, I think I talked about it last time that we're mm. try, we're going to try to get some tickets. We managed. So to we're really looking forward to that. Yes, the one in Stuttgart. Because no one else wants to be in Stuttgart? Apparently. Oh, because a buddy of mine was in line for, I think, 20 minutes longer than we were, and he still got five tickets. So. It was apparently pretty easy. Now, Rasmus, just as I'm filling in for Red here, I just need to explain to you, ACDC is a band that was around from like the late 70s, early 80s, and in the 90s. They had a bit of a resurgence recently when the Marvel films came out that you might have seen in the recent years when you hit puberty. And they, because they supported the Iron Man films with some of their soundtracks, just, <laughs> right, just catching you up there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You're most of the cat, like most of their cast died and then they got replaced and some of them already died again 
and then got replaced. So it's pretty much only like I think two original members in that. Yeah, isn't it? Angus I, I, and... I, I don't know. Is is it Brian Johnson back in it again or not? I'm not sure, but I think there's there's different youngs. Like there's actually a young that died, and I don't know if it's a brother cousin or something else like who jumped okay. in. And mm -hmm. I think it's the third young playing for Wasn't them. Wasn't this now. one of them also forget having dementia or something, and forgetting the their own songs and whatnot? Not sure. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I just never went to a concert, and I've been growing up with the ACDC, and I always yeah. wanted to go. So I'm from for Steph and I. It's just a chance to basically yeah. see them because nobody knows how long they're going to be around. Yeah, I get yeah. that. I'd, and I'd from really, what you know, I go on. Yeah. Uh, on from what I've heard is that they're still doing a fantastic show. So Just despite impressive. being half dead, literally? Not sure. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. You'll have to report back. And we'll try not to be jealous. Thanks. How about you guys? I have had fun today. I have decorated my power hammer. You've put googly eyes on it, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Has he got a name I've... yet? No. Oh, mind you, I'm really it's a male. I, it's, sorry, that's that's very old, old-fashioned of me again, fulfilling the red role. What has it decided <laughs> upon its pronouns yet? <laughs> I have no fucking idea. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. No, I got stickers uh, on it, so I turned the power hammer into my sticker wall, realizing it'll probably be the only thing that I'm hundred percent certain that I can I will bring with me in the next workshop move <laughs> and decorating like all the cupboards and doors and all of it with stickers and then trying to take the doors with me. I was like, no, maybe not. But the power hammer, that, that, that big blue thing in the corner, and like, let me just stick all the stickers on that. You could put like a long haired wig on it, throw some glitter on it, just call it Hammerfall or Heavy Metal or... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Hammerfall is a pretty good name for it. Or it doesn't work, and it, and it doesn't work like a, like a name name. But uh, yes, I like that. We'll see. I hope I hope you know the band at least. Yeah, yeah, of course. Anyway, that was my day, and then I've been hardening knives and grinding knives, and oh, I also stopped by the tip today and cleaned out the shop of scrap steel. And turns out I showed up with three hundred kilos of scraps, and a hundred kilos of that is not only stainless but acid proof. So okay. I got a fair amount of money delivering that in. I say that would be fun, particularly as I'm assuming you you took that 300 kilos in that little van that you and I were bimbling around in. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a bit anxious of like, <laughs> there's ice outside the workshop, and will I be able to make it up? But I did a smart thing of I drive, drove down, turned around, and then took a running start, and I got up to the top, and then I had to stop sort of with the nose just out into the in, into the street <laughs> and then wait and see if it's clear because snow banks and shit. So they're fantastic. All plus the all the metal in the back probably kept you gave you some traction. Well I a four front wheel drive and I okay. put it in the back. So yeah, that's why I need, I need I need a bit of a running start to get up the hill. With, I, with I just really that. hope that you loaded it all with the pointy end left to right, not front to back behind your driver's seat. Yes. Well, there's no point at the end. I stuck it in a pallet, actually. I did stick it in a pallet. That was kind of sensible. Yeah. But yeah. That's so I've been cleaning the workshop and organizing things. And oh, I also I, I had Stian in, I guess it's two weeks ago, to cut down sheets of plywood so I can build like a, the, the workbench and the office and things like that. And I finally also this week finished welding up the, the frame for that and reorganized the entire office. So I've been doing a lot of things that doesn't feel productive, but it looks really nice when I'm done. 
is weird, but I kind of <laughs> like the fact that it's done. <laughs> How about you, Dan? I've spent the last week in the evenings outside of the day job relocating the toilet and sink in my bathroom from one side of the room to the other and discovering oh, yeah. what, what levels of plumbing the previous owner of the house who was a builder has done. And oh my fact, God, I saw it. Yeah, and the fact that there was no insulation at all between the the joists because it's an old house. Well, it's not that old, 1930s. Yeah, in, in Britain, that's basically new. Yeah, that's that's pretty recent. That's pretty recent. It's, it's <laughs> old enough that the the render or plaster on the walls has is still got coal dust and horse hair in it, so that when you drill into oh. the walls, you just get a pile of grey dust come out and no way to fix things to it. So you end up having to epoxy screws into the wall, which is oh, fun. That's fun. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not every time. I was fortunate this time that I, I got away with uh, being able to fit the sink and the, the toilet on the other wall. But I, yeah, the, the most exciting part, I suppose, if you can use that word, was removing three and a half meters of what is politely known as soil pipe that had been used for however long it had been in use out of the room without yeah. getting covered fortunately it was it was relatively it was relatively clean but i i took the the route of valor and threw it straight out the window rather, <laughs> rather than trying to carry it through the house tipping it from one end to the yeah. other and taking any risks but yeah so that was highly exciting but yeah i i did share a, a photo of the the plastic plumbing that was in there which to be fair as as duncan pointed out had at least been color coded so that you knew what was hot on cold water and the fact that it was plastic plumbing rather than copper was it was a bit easier to work with but it was just that thing of you lift a floorboard and you look at this mess and you're just like okay that's moved around it's now just on the you know patch up holes in the wall and kind of sanding and cleaning and then decorating and new flooring type thing so but that's fine that's uh, that's moving forwards and it was a good procrastination away from the fact that I've not really made anything since middle of December. And I've kind for of... bevel, you mean? For bevel, yeah, yeah. So I, I had a bit of a, um, a knock, if you like, psychologically on bevel this year, like many creative people, I think across Europe for sure, but certainly in the UK. Sales were down, shall we just say. Sales were down across the board for no matter what it is you make or do, whether or not you're a full-time or a part-time whatever sales were down this year compared to last year even at christmas for a lot of people and yeah i i i sort of questioned the what's the what's the right word i'm looking for i i, I questioned the the continuance of working with bevel and how feasible it would be and whether or not i'd been to create too much of a niche for what i'm trying to do and therefore that means obviously actually the audience that you're trying to get to see your stuff is a lot smaller and so i've i've been kind of certainly through january i thought i'd managed to avoid seasonal depression which i occasionally suffer from amusingly enough yeah and i, I thought i'd avoided it by going visiting rasmus in norway and getting yeah i don't think that you're moving the right direction no point. no i don't think an englishman getting off a plane and stepping into minus 22 degrees centigrade was the right move to start with it was very uh, refreshing I just yeah, want to I, say, I, like, yeah. it keeps your mind off things, like you're, it, like yeah, you're not freezing. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> it, it only starts getting dangerous if you find it warm and comforting after a while. And, and you feel like you can down and take a nap somewhere. It, it was 
definitely a testament to the fact that I talked too much when we we walked through Oslo city centre to go and get some food. And by the time we got to the venue, I I was I thought I I just sort of went and brushed my hand through my beard, and the the moisture from me speaking had frozen into my beard in a few not proper icicles, <laughs> but a couple of little bits that were definitely frozen. Not enough for me to get a picture, unfortunately. But yeah, that that was that was a little bit like, oh, okay, yeah, it is colder than you kind of think it is. But yeah, I I had, I had had a had a moment where I sort of think about things, and I kind of figured, oh, maybe I'll go down the the wholesale route this year. And I went to an event in the UK called Spring Fair, which is a massive wholesale. Like the, the for those of you who know the NEC in Birmingham, Birmingham, the National Exhibition Centre, uh, those who've been to Maker Central mm-hmm. have been there. This event books the whole of the NEC out, all seven halls, absolutely oh, all oh, booked wow. out. Like the whole thing is for this event. They give free parking for the full three days, sorry, four days of the event. Like it, okay. it, there is no other event on while this is on. That's that's the comparison of of the same event that you and I were at in Oslo, Raz. Um, right, yeah. So, and I I went along as a visitor. I didn't have a stand there. Absolutely didn't have a stand there. And I thought, well, let's let's just go and see the sort of things people are selling and people are buying. What are the margins people are expecting to pay? What are volumes people are expecting to pay? Et cetera, et cetera. Chat to a few people, and and you know just out of interest and i went along with another wood turner a friend of mine and we we got to play a really fun game of how shit is this and how much do you think people are going to charge for it on the like the really poorly turned stuff that's been made to a budget and a huge amount of which comes out of indonesia possibly parts of china india and turkey quick question was there a lot of the same kind of things as we saw at the Oslo Design Fair? Or is it different enough that it's kind of its own thing? It's just mass-produced in so different ways? What, what they did is they they split it into different sections. The first section we went in was actually my favorite one. It was actually it was the interior design area. And that was the yeah. nicest one to walk around. That was like, you know, there were people there who had bought enough space that they basically built a whole shop inside the hall. So uh-huh. they had, they had like, it was walled off. You had a door at either end and you had windows. So you could see in and go, oh, what's the pretty things in there? And it encouraged you to then walk into their shop and go around their shop and, and buy things. There was a whole corner of it that was just Christmas stuff. Like we're in mm-hmm. February, but it was like, okay, for next year or the year after, you know, they had all of the different types of tinsel and lights and everything, but it didn't look tacky. It was all like the mm-hmm. higher end, nice stuff. And but then on the flip side of that, you had people just selling weird things like a four foot high garden gnome flipping the bird in different colors. Like, <laughs> how, how many would you like of this? You know, so of course I took photos and, you know, and like, you know, angle poise lamps are really difficult to get hold of. Yeah, they had a seven foot tall angle poise lamp. They had them in different oh. colors. If you were buying them wholesale, they were 70 quid. Oh, and I'm looking at this. I, you know, that was when I started seriously considering oh like how many units do we have to buy of these like you know yeah. this is something that i could be, and you, you go hang on that's not why i'm here that's not why i'm, here. I'm, not, I'm not just buying things no, no, like you already distracted me with that now yeah yeah absolutely but it was very interesting and in some ways enlightening in a positive way and some ways disheartening at the same time I, so i very quickly realized that that venue in particular was not for me and my brand and right. realistically if I was looking at wholesale, 
I would have to be wholesaling to people who understood what my brand was about, which was kind of obvious in the first place, but like really understood and also would be willing to accept a different margin than most of these places were because pretty much everything at this event, the expectation was you wanted to make 100% profit. Oh, fuck. What? Not, not like 40%, which I've always thought, and bearing in mind, I work in retail and buy. <laughs> yeah. You know, 40%, it's like 40 to 50%. Okay, that, that's enough that you've, just for those who don't understand, yeah. it sounds like a lot, but if you have a sale with 20% off, you're making a smaller profit margin. So if you, mm. you know, if you only sell things at 20%, then you can never realistically have a sale and make any money and it needs to cover paying staff to sell the product, et cetera, et cetera which leads into the whole conversation about selling in art galleries and how much commission they take, but we won't go there. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, I, and I sat in on a, there was like a, they, they had a panel talk area and there was one about taking creative people into shops. And I thought, oh, fantastic. We'll sit and listen to this. And we did. And it was like, you know, it was like 20 minutes and it was a panel discussion between, there was a lady who runs her own independent shop. And so she sources from craftspeople there was a woman who has started up like a collective thing for businesses who are obviously they're creative. They're not great at business, but she had managed to open for the last four months, a pop-up shop on Regent street in London. Oh. So it was like, if you can get, you know, if you're working with them and you, you pay a monthly fee to them for sort of the assistance and marketing or whatever, but you've potentially got your stock in Regent street in London, which is one of the premier shops in probably mm -hmm. premier streets in London full of the yeah. tourists as well as you know people going for shopping and it was over the christmas period so mm -hmm. you know that's quite quite a big thing and then there was a guy who had taken his this kind of business that he and his mum set up during covid in order for her to have something to do when she retired and it was just this hobby thing and now he supplies two of the major supermarkets in the uk is exporting to america and just doing all this stuff and his product isn't really that unique it's not you know he's, he's basically selling packets of spice for indian food and it's like that's not something that no one else could do but it's yeah. pre-mixed and it and, and it's done well and the flavor profiles are good and it's packaged nicely and all that kind of thing so anyway they did this yeah. whole talk thing and there was just an awful lot that i learned in that 20 minutes that made me realize a, how far away my products are probably from fitting in that environment, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I am not 100% sure what direction I actually want to be in with it and where it all sits. So I've kind of decided that this year due to that and a number of other reasons, sort of time available to me, that I'm not going to go out of my way to go to markets or necessarily wholesale this year. It's going to be very much more of a personal development get better at my skill set just turn a lot make a load of stock so it can be sold in the future but but focus mostly on process how do i get my production times faster i mean the simplest way of doing that is more time doing the thing so therefore i get quicker yeah. but with the increased level of well increased standards so like you know there's less sanding required things are more consistent etc um, i mean also just to point out it is not a bad idea to just schedule yourself in a way that every other year you sell and every other year you produce. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so that that's just the way of life so that you don't get too overwhelmed trying yeah. to rush a lot of stock out when you're supposed to only be yeah. selling kind of i mean uh, it, it also is is a way of taking a break without taking a break and i'm in the fortunate position yeah. that i'm still in full-time employment so if i'm going to do this now yeah. is the time to do it <laughs> mm. exactly dan did you think about doing basically the following you said about like the the, the margin they wanted and also the about the regent street where they basically pull you put your stuff out because i've known or I know someone had did basically kind of the same thing instead of advertising because he mostly sells online, mm -hmm. but he wanted to get himself out. He has his prices and he doesn't want to add any on top of that when he gives it to retail stores. Yeah. So what he did, he uses those ad advertisement costs in his own mind and he didn't do the march up on it. So he didn't earn as much money on them selling them in the mm -hmm. retail stores, but he added his card with a like Dynamatrix code. So if it's scanned in, you automatically go to his homepage. So he mm. sells for the, the same price he sells it on the homepage. He basically gave it to the retail store, said, how much are you putting on top? They said, well, 30%. So he subtracted the, the 30%. So basically to match the same price he would sell online. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, he used it for commercial, basically as a commercial for his. There's, I mean, there's, you know, we don't want to, this is very definitely becoming a two-part shop. <laughs> so you've got to be got to be careful there and I, you know I, i'm i'm well aware that i am able to talk about my own business and things i'm doing with it a lot more which is not always interesting for everyone i'll say that and then carry on doing that anyway so <laughs> we know i that's, that's I, why we like you. <laughs> I am i i have played around with a lot of things so the things that and anyone doing this needs to realize early on is know what your strengths are and know what your weaknesses are so i have a website I'm happy mm -hmm. with the pictures on the website. I'm happy with the pricing on the website. Oh, some of the content now I could probably do with tweaking. I have had no sales at all through my website. Okay. So that means uh, two uh, things. Since you made it or since, since I've since it is launched, since it has been right. in in, you know, and you've been able to purchase through the website, I've had I have had no sales. And that's that's a lot. I've had one sale from a guy who was business mentoring me for a period of time and should have just asked me for the thing and I've sent it to him. But Anyway, that will speak to three things. One is people aren't finding me. So that means I should be putting a lot more time into marketing, search engine optimization, all, all of that kind of stuff. All of that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, which I could spend a lot of time learning about and implementing and potentially still not get a result. You'd like to think it would change, but potentially still not get a result. Or alternatively, you could, if you've got the money, pay someone else to do it for you which would free up your time to then focus on other things, possibly more stuff you're excited by, whatever that may be. But the the reality is that at the moment, I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in, I'm, I haven't got the money to pay the person. And I'm also, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this thing and going like, do you know what? I would, I potentially have to learn an awful lot about, I'm, I'm not the sort of person who can just go, all oh, right, I'll watch a five minute video on search engine optimization. I get it. I will now do X, Y, and Z and let's see what happens. I would need to learn the history of search engine optimization <laughs> and the full background and do like a semi online degree course in it to know that I feel that I'm good enough to then be able to implement this thing against my own website. Okay. And the problem is with something like that is that it's constantly changing. So you would never actually hit that target of knowing all about it and make it work yeah yeah and there are more than enough people on social media 
and the internet everywhere who are talking about their top 10 tips for perfect sales using this, that, and whatever else, and blah, 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 which is all great. But I'm just, I, I, I look at it and I, and I see it as the, the elephant, which you eat one bite at a time. And I just have no interest for the taste of the first bite. I just kind of go, well, I've, I've got the, you know, I've got the thing. I know I need to do that work, but I'm, I'm mm. the motivation. I have less motivation for that than I currently do for having a workout at the gym, which I haven't done for five years. So, and you know, but at the same time, that's my kind of, I want that business to grow and I know what I need to do for it, mm. but I just keep looking at it and going, yeah. Mm. But I also then have the flip side of that, which means that I go to the workshop and I'm like, well, I'm not selling anything. So do I need to make something? And it's not that I don't enjoy making it because I still teach in my day job. And every time I'm on the lathe, I love it. It's fantastic. It's the motivation is the wrong word. I just, I struggle if I don't see the end benefit other than getting better at something. So that's why I've kind of taken this thing of saying, right, okay, the website's still there. I can possibly tinker with that at some point or magically earn enough money to pay someone to do it for me. But what I can control is going out to the workshop and getting better and enjoying those kind of things and the, the personal development that side. But if I understood you correctly, is it kind of, it feels hopeless to make Bevel the thing you dreamed of? It's not hopeless. I think, I think what it is, is that I, right at the beginning, I didn't want to become a wood turner who turns up at a craft fair and puts 200 different items on a table and say, but I'm a wood turner mm. and everyone's going, and there's no cohesion to it. Like yeah. everything you've made is like, Oh, I felt like making salt and pepper mills today. And then I felt like making dog whistles. And then I felt like making garden dibbers that very few people use anymore. And, you know, mm. like, it's just this stuff that was kind of like in, in a way it's, it's an array of things that show how your skills have developed. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. There are plenty of people who are doing that, and that's fantastic. But I've always liked the the way a story works. And I, I before I went with all of this, I had a long chat with Alex Hacktrack, Alex Halfpenny, because mm. uh, he kind of maybe used to do something to do with developing brands and and that kind of stuff. Maybe and once I had or a twice. yeah, once or twice. So I, I had a long conversation with him about it. Yeah. And the, the things that I, I like making things that bring people together and give them good memories when they use it. And the thing that I thought for me personally, and everyone I know that does that more than anything else is food. Like, you know, I'm I no can, good at can relate. Yeah. I'm no good at music and music can be quite divisive. So food is always uniting. Even if you like pick bits out that you don't like. You, you're still going to eat food because you need to eat food. And if you do it as a group of people, even the most introverted person in the world is going to be like, are, are, you, are you making a cheese toasty? Could I, could I also have a cheese toasty? Would that be possible? Mm. You know, and like mm. if they're lactose intolerant, that's fine. You just, you just toast with like something else. It's not a problem. Gluten intolerant, then, well, I can't help. You know, <laughs> that there's, there's always that thing of people gathering around the campfire and eating together and making memories and all that kind of stuff and so for me it, everything i make i wanted to kind of be adjacent to that i didn't want it to take away from that feeling but if you can gather around the campfire and you're eating your stuff off a nice wooden plate that you can then like wipe off put in the bag and you you know take it to the next event later on that summer and you know it's it's an heirloom piece that is going to last 
or the other end of the scale you make like a center table piece that comes out every year at christmas and that people go like oh you know we remember this thing but it, it takes a whole turkey and it takes two people to mm. carry the board to put it in the middle of the table and it's only used yeah. once a year but then when that person goes they pass it to their grandchildren because that's the, that is the turkey board for christmas yeah. so for, for anything i make to be part of that that's what I, I wanted to happen and what I, I loved the idea of kind of community and family and all that kind of things. It's not only Steve who gets to use the C word. So yeah, it, it, I mean, that's, that's what I wanted it to be like. Sorry? No, it, it is all about the story yeah, that goes absolutely. along with items. Yeah, and I think and my yeah, problem is, is I'm not, I, I'm, you can hear from the way I talk about it, I'm passionate mm -hmm. about the story. I'm not necessarily yeah. very good at getting that across in my marketing or in the way mm -hmm. that I'm I'm doing things. And I don't have the money to tell to to pay someone to help me with that, or necessarily have a friend with spare time who's able to help me with that. So, you know, I, I yeah. So I'm not I'm not sort of despondent or disheartened. There was definitely a few moments where I was like, oh, shall I just give up, or shall I refocus and completely change something else? But equally, I've only been doing this two years. Yeah. Like, you know, I already deviate exactly from the plan within two years. Then I've I've you know most most new businesses, it's like you've got to allow sort of five years. And then if you're in an economic crisis like now, you, know, you, you might need to add one or two more onto the end of that as well. So, mm. But that's yeah. a huge benefit of you having a stable income job. Absolutely. So you can basically use that to just build up stock and stock. Yeah, yeah. As long as I stop spending the money on more wood from work, yeah. Would you ever be able to do that, to stop? I've been a bit more restrained. I've only bought three, <laughs> three pieces since Christmas. And oh, they, were, okay. and they okay. were pretty, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah i'll make it back <laughs> yeah. oh no they were they they were like really really heavily rippled ash that goes on with some others that oh. i've already got so i can add it to, to the rippled collection which will never be a thing mm. but you know so i'll keep telling myself oh you you hoard it there i come visit at some point and then all of the bits that you realize you never use i can take take with me back home and use some knife handles yeah well i mean i've i've got to you know, I did that like clear out of my wood store nine months ago or whatever it was. I need to do it again because it's the space is filled <laughs> up. It's not filled with wood. It's, it's like it would be fine. I wouldn't mind oh. if I just filled it up with wood. I It's filled with like the gazebo and tables for the events uh, that I go to and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And I've I've a applied to be a member of a professional body and in order what part of the process for that is they come and do a physical inspection of your workshop and wood store and make sure it's suitable for members mm. of the public to visit without dying and it looks i don't think i can do that no no well this is this is the problem fortunately the guy who's coming to inspect it's quite a, it's quite a relaxed situation and they rang me up and the first and i know know the guy who's going to do it and the first thing mm. i said to him was bit earlier than i expected can we delay this till the end of march <laughs> and he was like right. it's absolutely fine like you know this is this is up to you kind of thing so i i'm going to now that the the bathroom is pretty much sorted there and all the the building tools have been put away i can now focus on uh sweeping up and reorganizing and putting tools on in places where they actually have a home rather than just piled up on a horizontal surface which is the death of every workshop isn't it yeah, I mean, that is literally what I've been combating this week. Yeah. Trying to get things better and more organized and sorted out and all of those words. Yeah. But also, also I, I do recognize sort of myself in what you're saying of 
thinking or reconsidering like am i even supposed to be doing this yeah is there any way that this actually is meant to work am i doing or is everything i'm doing quote unquote wrong and to some extent like yeah it is because i'm not adhering to any of the normal rules of producing stuff or trying to sell stuff i'm trying to do both but, of them but what with... yeah exactly it's like it the rules are made <laughs> up anyway yeah but it is like no but quote-unquote everybody else are following these rules mm -hmm. and if you're not following them as well then people go up to you and like what the fuck are you doing who are you what's all of this but raz one of your best sellers isn't even yeah. a physical product it's digital plans yeah sorry that, uh, yeah I even you, forgot that about you that. made one <laughs> like a few years back and yeah. they just sit there and you know it, it is like the the ultimate in i can never remember the, the terminology but that kind of the income that generates itself and you don't have to do anything to to make it happen i can't remember the terminology for it it's like one of the buzzwords at the moment passive, passive, income. passive income that's the word mm -hmm. yeah you'd think i remember that given how little i move from my desk during the day passive income <laughs> yeah and you know you've got that there and obviously i say it's you know one of your your best sellers that doesn't mean it's a high earner no but com compared to the time invested into making the product once and how much mm -hmm. i made back on it per percentage wise yeah. it definitely is yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, there is, I don't think there is a perfect business model for a creative person. No, it probably isn't. But that's kind of the problem where everybody else is coming up to you and telling you from their perspective and maybe from yeah. their corporate perspective, like this is the way it's supposed to be. So I can give you two examples that I've witnessed recently that I, I find fascinating and a little bit confusing slash disheartening at the same time so the spring fair event i went to one of the stalls i specifically went to go and see because i already knew before i went there the quality of the products that i was going to see there is a sawmill in the uk okay so these are guys who take trees and they turn them into planks and they dry them out and they sell the timber that that is what they do right mm -hmm. that's not what they're selling at this spring fair event what they are selling at that spring fair event is they are wholesaling chopping boards okay oh. natural progression right you've got all of yeah. this timber here you, you you've got all of it you've got it dry let's assume that you've you've got two guys in a bare bones workshop maybe a table saw chop saw bandsaw and a planer thicknesser a router and a couple of sanders right not a hmm. huge investment possibly six grand if you're buying nice stuff 10 if you're buying really nice stuff you've got lots of barns because you've got sawmills this isn't really an issue okay except that they don't manufacture them out of their own timber they import them what yeah oh so they're using their name and no 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 the, 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 no, no no okay they're, they're not they're not lying they're not saying hey these are made in britain or that this is british timber or anything like that they're a sawmill company who have got a subsidiary company that they haven't really advertised properly that makes chopping boards that they will mass sell to shops including like the round carved breadboard type things the round card breadboard one all of them are multi-laminate glue together like mm. the cheapest of the cheap the 12 inch diameter round carved breadboard wholesale price no matter how many units you bought was 10 pounds 50 each mm. and you know that they must be making at least 50 if not 100 percent themselves of profit yeah okay 
And I wanted to just go and see, just to confirm to myself that this was actually what a sawmill in the UK was doing, was then importing a poorly made wooden product. I say poorly made, made to a price. And I, I use that phrase very carefully because yeah. you can't criticize how badly something's made if it's been made to a price. If if you consider that, you know, it's the old, the old sort yeah. of triangle isn't mm-hmm. it like you can't have a high quality item made quickly and cheaply so anyway so that's that's one company that i found really interesting and like but you're a british sawmill why are you doing but what they've seen is people will buy chopping boards shops will buy a lot of them we can import them through contacts here people will buy loads of them because the shops we're selling to don't care where it's made they're just selling it as a chopping board or cutting board all right yeah okay they've seen a gap in the market they're exploiting it or taking advantage of it whichever way you want to look at it the second company is an american company which are the other end of the extreme i don't know how many employees they have but they some someone like however they've got there they have decided that they are going to take the wood turned bowl and the manufacturer of it past the point of being over engineered in the manufacturing process and by okay. what I mean by this is they have taken every single stage of the process from taking the tree to then all the way through to the finishing point. There is a different person that does each stage of the process and none of it is turned on a lathe. Okay. So oh. they've got they've got portions of tree trunk that come in on a conveyor belt, and then a guy sits there and he's he's got like a special adapted handle on the end of a chainsaw blade and he cuts them to to lengths. They then go further down and they get cut the other way into, into blanks for bowls. That then mm. gets mounted on a machine, which has got a carbide cutting bit on it, which cores out the blank. And then another oh. machine comes around and, and trues up the outside edge. That goes on to yet another machine where the other bit gets hollowed out so that they're all uniform sizes. And I'm banging yeah. my mic very much exactly like red. Hopefully this is being cooked up by, Go- by Google Sound. <laughs> it then goes to a different guy who sands the outside on another machine. And then another guy sands the inside on another machine. And then it gets passed to a lady down there who's got a massive bucket of oil and she dunks them in oil and leaves them to dry there. And then, and this is the bit which I found highly amusing, every single one has got their logo. Sorry, every single one's got their logo branded on the bottom by another person. But you can pay to have like, you know, Rasmus and Jan's bowl burnt into the rim, right? So all of these bowls are exactly the same size, but someone sits there and does it by hand with a pyrography machine. (laughs) Well, I thought they were like a laser where it just like... Yeah, so the one process out of everything they do that I would say, if you know they're the same size every time, do it on a machine so that it's... Oh, so it's it's handmade? is the one that's hand is done by hand. Now they they show all of these process on their on their Instagram page. They're not lying. They're not saying oh it's you know it's handmade and then doing it all a machine. Theoretically, you could argue it's it's still crafted from scratch. It's not you know, and it's all done in America, so it's it's supporting American jobs. But every single one of these things I've seen, like there's there's three or four huge workshop spaces, and each one's got at least ten to fifteen people in it in each video. So like the oh. overheads just on staffing costs and power and all of that. And then you look at the cost of the bowl, they're selling it. So a 10 inch by three or four inch deep bowl, they're selling for $58. Oh, right. If you translate that into British pounds, it's 47 pounds, something like that, which is what I would charge for the same size bowl that I turned by hand on one machine. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's weird. I don't see how it's 
cheaper mm. or faster. The only thing that I can see that they've put a lot of time and money into doing is getting volume yeah. and consistency of size. But with the kind of tooling they have, but by the sound of it, haven't they also removed a fair bit of the skill required? Um, so like any sort of quote-unquote expert woodturner would be able to do what they're doing just on their normal lathe, right? Yes. So they're taking people who are not expert woodturners, but making them able to produce something that looks like what the expert woodturner could do. Yes. But you just move the whole I... skill section from doing yeah, the craft to engineering the craft. Yeah, you're reducing the level of skill required, which means more people could be employed to continue doing the thing. Yeah. You could argue that if you bought or rented out one of the three different units they've got, and at one end of it put 10 lathes in there and trained 10 people to be the same standard, then even if you end up with three or four of them on annual leave or sick at any point in time, you could still generate the same amount of stuff. That's a whole other, you know, that's that's one of those kind of let's work out on paper, but it's never going to happen kind of scenarios. But it's yeah. interesting to do. Does it mean that it's not handcrafted? Probably because it is predominantly done by machine. Does it mean that it's not made with love? I That's a tricky one because the way the hmm. machines work and the way that the guys use the machines, they clearly care about what they're doing. Like this yeah. isn't this isn't a factory job where you just show up you've got to meet your targets and then you go home. Like there, there is clearly a lot of socializing between everyone there that they're, they're all enjoying what they're doing. You know, there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff from what I can see from the social media perception anyway. So I think there's a lot that they've gone into to try and optimize as much as possible, the process of producing these things to generate as much as possible in the shortest space of time, but still maintain a high standard. And they felt that the way to do that is to spend a huge amount of money on machinery rather than, you know, a skill set situation. I don't I don't I, know the history behind the, the business. I don't know who's funded or set it up or anything, but it's a yeah. fascinating thing to consider and look at. I mean, I can kind of see if if it is hard to get a hold of good, reliable employees, mm -hmm. investing in machinery feels safer. Yeah. Because then you can always quickly find someone new and train them up and have them yeah. do that job. Yeah. But if it's the other way around where you have invested all of your money, quote unquote, in educating someone, then you're reliant on them showing up to work. Every Absolutely. Day. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't they go off on their own and, and like, you know, oh, well, why, you know, why are we making this for you? But we could profit from making it for ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And that might be one of the deciding factors. I mean, some of yeah. the machines that he had there, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I could do with one of those. That would be really, you know, <laughs> that would be handy for this one process. Yeah. But yeah, I'm... it's that's what you're that's what you can compete against. You've got the two extremes of people who theoretically have got this story they can tell about how everything's, you know, everything that we make is from within, you know, from trees within 20 miles of our sawmill. And we've we've taken it from the tree, we've dried it, we've done everything ourselves, but they've chosen to import because it's it's going to be more viable as a business option right the way through to the other extreme where people literally are going, Oh no, no, we've taken the trees from within 20 miles of where we are. And then we've way over engineered the way mm -hmm. in which we've created the product. I think that's what the first tours podcast also talked about where you're like buying into an idea. Yeah. Mm. And this is kind of like what, what I romanticize about the making aspect is someone taking the time, doing it by hand. Mm -hmm. I don't see any appeal in a scene work bowl no. and then somebody's carving a name by hand in it. Like that's, yes. 
for me that it not that it feels like cheating but it's just it's not not appealing to me yeah not at all yeah yeah you're you're missing the entire reason at least why i decided to get into this craft like mm -hmm. to have something like direct a direct connection between me making it and the final product yeah and it is dependent on the fact that it requires a bit of skill mm -hmm. i really really like that i find a bit of pride honestly in being able to make a fair bit of the things that i do make yep. yeah and then I mean, you have this system that you're describing as like there's none of that there and i for some reason don't like it <laughs> yeah exactly this is like maybe it's because we do it ourselves because it's do the same with the camera straps yeah i, I buy the paracord from the company in europe like basically the main original paracord in the netherlands and it's i could buy the cheap knockoff of that stuff for a fraction of the price hmm. but i don't I, I, like this is the same with the leather i go to the trouble of finding certified leather like from germany that is basically harvested oh, they say harvested but it's like basically from cows that is mm. like not mass produced not mm. manufactured so there's little imperfections in it but this is why i'm doing it so the only things really i have to buy from like the the retail is the basically the quick connectors for it at the end but i, I try to get as much as possible locally sourced from it because this is what i'm taking pride because i want to it, i want it to be something special Hmm. Yeah. So for me, that's just everything that's wrong is about machine manufactured. So, so can I ask you both this question? I'll, I'll yeah. start with Rasmus. Have you reached the point yet where you can look at a product that you've finished and say, not that you're just happy for it to, leave, you know, you're happy to sell that as a finished product, but you haven't found a fault with it that's enough of a fault for you to worry about? And I don't mean oh, the customer won't notice that because that's like the death of quality. I'm talking about, I know that this isn't the standard that I quite want it to be, but I also can see that this is a step in the progression. And, that you know, it's it's absolutely fine to sell this as a finished product, but I can see where I'm I'm still reaching for this next level. Yeah, I think, I, <laughs> it, yeah. But I think only like in the roses, Mm -hmm. and the leaf bowls that was going to be my second question because you you make a lot yeah. of different products yeah there's there's a good pile of knives that i'm like yeah this is good not perfect but this is good but when it comes to the roses and the leaf bowls and the leaf hooks for that matter which to be fair like that's they start out being like laser cut mm. so i'm removing a certain amount of uncertainties from the process with that yeah but there's every once in a while i I finished one of those and I was like, no, I, I can't actually see anything wrong with this one. And a lot of them, I can see like, oh, this is a little bit crooked. This is a little bit crooked that way. That's uneven. I had a misstrike here. So there's a big dent that I would rather not be there. There's a lot of that, but maybe, maybe one in 10. It's like, yeah, no, there's mm. nothing. Nothing is wrong with this one. I think one in 10 is acceptable for a batch of handmade products, though. Like, you know, if you're talking about when you say there's a fault in it, you know, but realistically, you know that it's it's not a fault unless you put it next to the other nine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and even then, like, as you probably saw at the market, like people come up and want to touch it and they will hold mm. two up next to each other and they will see and like, like, no, so this one is weird in the way I like it to be. What about you, Jan? 
oh, every single of those camera strikes is absolutely perfect. There's nothing I could improve. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, like, there's not a single one that I'm happy with at the moment. Yeah. But this is because I am comparing it to, I basically want them handmade, but look almost like they're machine made. And this is yeah. almost impossible mm. with the leather because of the the way, I, I mean, I saw him by hand. Yeah. And you have the, sometimes because I have to wetten the leather a little bit to stretch around the paracord and it's still a learning process. And you can see it, like if it's a little bit too uh, wet and you pull it, the string, you, you see the unevenness yeah. in it. Mm. Will I sell them? Yes, because first of all, I invested a lot of money like, <laughs> making them and I, I have to do it back. And I know like, I mean, they're not faulty in, a, in an extent that they don't work, but they have optical flaws in it. But then, of course, I'm going to make pictures of them. I'm going to make detailed deta pictures of them. So people are not buying, like, the, the, how to call it, the cat in the sack. Like, they, they basically didn't know what they're buying for it. And the ones that are more obvious, then maybe I sell them for a little bit cheaper. I give them away to friends. But there, there is a learning process in it. I'm getting better at it. And I, I think I have to just come to terms with that they're not going to look like they're made with a machine. Like, this is just not going to happen. It's leather. Okay, so this is this is the interesting follow-up to that. So I have had on at least four separate occasions people assume that what I'm selling is made on a CNC or machine. That is great. Okay, which is one very, you know, it, I, I take it as a compliment. I'll thank you very much that you assume that this is CNC made because it certainly ain't. And by no means am I saying that my thing, that anything I make is perfect. It is just that the what, this particular person is perceiving as a level of quality they assume must be made by a uh, computer controlled mm -hmm. machine but it's the problem with that is that then they in their eyes is devalued the product yeah why have you got this high price tag on this item which was potentially mass produced on a machine even if it was made in your home workshop so there's there's this this very thin barrier between how far do you take something that looks handmade? Do you strive for the perfection? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, we we all know blacksmiths who actually, you know, they take their water jet or laser cut out blank, and they've they've whether or not they've forged an element or done stock removal or whatever. But at some point, they will add hammer strikes to it mm -hmm. to make it look more handmade to prove the point that this has been handmade, and not necessarily in an attempt to cheat the customer, but just because otherwise. The direct comparison to that knife is going to be, you know, one straight off the shelf from, I'll say, a supermarket because that's where you can mostly buy knives from in the UK. And yeah. it's that is that little line of like, you don't want to start putting imperfections in to make it obvious to someone it's handmade, but at the same time, you know, you, you you're striving for a level of quality and a level of I... perfectionism. Yeah, I, I had to smirk because I was thinking about you finishing a ball, like absolutely turning out perfect, and you take it with a tear in your eye. You just bang it against the lathe a couple of times and just cry while doing it. Traditionally, you drop it just after you've. You, what what happens is you spend a couple of hours getting a super high glossy lacquer finish on the outside, and mm -hmm. then as you take the chuck off, you drop it a little bit, and there's this little dink noise as it just touches the lathe bed, mm -hmm. and and you have that choice of do I put this back on the lathe and sand this off and start again? Or do we 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 wait and see who spots that imperfection? But yeah. It's funny because I think everybody's fighting the same issues when it comes to that. 
so I level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I have a I I am possibly slightly more obsessive about it than other people. If, if I go too thin on the base of a bowl, or potentially if I hollow through the bottom of a bowl, which touch wood I've only done like three four times so far, I personally would never glue another piece of wood of a different color or a coin or resin or anything to accentuate the the whatever i cut that up into three if not four pieces and i put it on the burn pile because for me personally i i take that as a learning moment whether or not it was a flaw in the timber whether it's a flaw in something i've done or whatever i'm just like okay fine that's not going to meet the standard that i want it to there is one bowl in circulation that i gifted to a friend where I haven't done that with. And that was because it was one of the most gorgeous pieces of Rickbold Sycamore that I have ever worked with. It mm. was a 12 by three inch blank that I turned into a salad bowl. And I got a little bit over enthusiastic because the shavings were coming off beautifully. And where the chucking point is, if you held it up to the light, you could see through the base of the bowl. The the actual the wall thickness all the way around is about for that size of bowl, I should have left it thicker. It should have been about 10 to 12 mil. 12 mil mm. is a bit on the heavy side. I did it at six. Ooh. So it's it's light. It's like mm. way too light for that kind of a bowl. And because I thought there's a good chance he's going to fill this with fruit and move it around or whatever, I did. And shout out to Johnny from, I want to say Bespoke Bloke Knives. He's probably called himself something different now. I don't know. Irish Johnny uh, Knives. Yeah, nobody cares um, about him. It's fine. I would refer to his podcast, but that's long dead. I mean, you know, there's only so many yeah. dad jokes you can put up with from Alan. And he he gave me a lot of time because I'd never used epoxy glue before as anything other than a glue. And I kept pestering with questions because I was just panicking and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, basically, I decided I was going to fill the bottom recess of that bowl with epoxy but i wanted it to be clear i wanted no bubbles i didn't want to stick anything you know i didn't want to accentuate it I wanted it so if you look from a distance you couldn't see it but it was going to reinforce that base so he gave me a, a lot of time and hints and tips and i'll be always grateful to him for that but the first thing i did when i handed the bowl to my friend was point out a mistake yeah yep. But now he because, has to hide it every single time you walk no, no, no. by so you because, don't set it on fire. No, 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 not at all. But I do look at it every time I visit his house. Um, <laughs> but the reason why I pointed it out to him is because he and I worked together in the past. He was a landscape gardener back when I was a builder. And um, we had long conversations about getting joints correct when laying paving slabs or laying bricks and like, you know, getting uh, things exactly right and where do you square it from so he's the same level of perfectionist as i am so it was that kind of thing of i've got to point this out to you before you spot it and you know i've, I've got to explain this right. to you which we're all guilty of doing when you go oh i just let you oh yeah i've bought i've got, given you this gift that i've lovingly created but by the way that bit there's shit <laughs> i mean yeah you know it, it really doesn't help i know i'm talking far too much that's fine you invited me on uh, we, we knew back. what you got yourself into. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, circling back, I've I've spoken more than Red has for the last ten episodes. It's fine. And you I distracted just, yourself? No, no, no. I was just thinking, what has balls? Um, <laughs> so, circling back to a, another conversation earlier in earlier in the in the episode, we were talking about the whole storytelling thing as a creative person mm. and adding to the story. So. 
one of my former colleagues when I was when I was a luthier for a year, apprentice luthier for a year, was he and I used to have quite a good conversation. He always used to joke. So he was Italian and he'd come over to study for a year on how to become a luthier. He was also lead vocalist of a pretty hardcore death metal band. And when oh. I say vocalist, I mean vocalist. There was no words that you could understand. But he was very good at he was very good at throat singing. And he always used to joke about like he, he would show some design ideas and whatever. And I said, Oh, that's really why is your stuff always good? He was like Italian design. And it just it would always be quoting Italian design. So he now is is out on his own in Italy making guitars and has really managed to make a go of it. He frequently ships some over to Japan and America for stock in shops. Wow. And for those of you wow. who have been to both are well aware of their level of like, oh no, it has to meet X standard to be desired in, in Japan mm-hmm. for certain. Um, but one of the things that he has done is that the the heavily rippled or flamed maple that he will put on the tops or on the necks of some of his guitars, he has sourced some from the same forest where Stratovarius used to get his timber for his violins from. Um, oh, wow. And it's just like, I mean... The forest is huge. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's not like, you know, oh, this was the tree next to the last one that he mm. had felled or anything like that. But there's just that level of association of like, this yeah. is the same type of timber from the next same forest. Marketing. Yeah. And, and he's just, he's not, he doesn't go over the top with it. It's just like two lines in the full description of where he sources his timber from. And the thing that I love is that you look at pictures of his workshop and he's got five different benches set up with five different guitars in different stages of manufacture. And there's still only him working there. Okay. So if he comes in in the morning, he's just like, no, I don't fancy doing like fret slotting and, and putting them in and filing whatever today. I'll work on this one instead. Mm. So he's, he's got, you know, he's got all of his systems worked out. He's got all of his, his processes worked out. And he has refined things down to the nth degree. You know, he's he's got his his spray booth because he does all of the spraying himself. Pretty much everything is done in house by himself. And you know, his his wood store is temperature controlled and all of this kind of stuff. And it's just him, <laughs> but he's put yeah. time and thought into the design and time and thought into the story. And he's also a crazy Italian. So, like within three months of opening, he got himself a booth at Nam Show in LA, and like. No, sorry, not Nam Show in LA. It's not in. He went to the the largest guitar festival show thing in England. Finished his guitar twelve hours before the doors opened. Was still in <laughs> Italy, and drove. Oh, and didn't sleep oh, wow. from Italy all the way. And and he's not in like oh yeah the north part of Italy closest to the border. He's like middle of Italy. Packed guitars into the back of his vehicle drove overnight arrived two hours before it was due to open set up his booth three guitars three things big banner at the back sat you know stool down and was like i've got 45 minutes before the place opens i'm not gonna be able to get a nap everyone around me is cranking electric guitars and like testing them and making sure they're working Mm. properly and and spent a three-day show at this event oh damn but he secured four orders yeah and well and that's a story yeah that's a yeah. St- it's not smart but it's a story no but that, <laughs> yeah. that's the level of he i discovered a long time afterwards that he had had this plan of like i'm going to go and spend a year at this place learning how to do guitars properly because this is where i want to be i'm going to do this i'm going to do he had it all planned out 
before he mm-hmm. even applied for the apprenticeship in the UK. Like oh. that was a guy who knew what his end goal was going to be. I have no clue whatsoever. <laughs> you know, Same. so like, and and that mm-hmm. and that's the problem with a lot more of us. Like he's he's got he's a creative person, but he's a much heavier lean towards the business brain because mm-hmm. he he had it all planned out. He knew what he had a passion for, but he also knew how he could try and get it to make money. He was like, right, where am I going to make money? I need to be able to sell to Japan and America. Like, forget about what, who, in, do you name an Italian guitarist that you know really well, you know, who isn't a classical guitarist? Very few people would know of one. So he knew that his market wasn't local. And so really, his workshop should be probably in America or, you know, further up in Europe or wherever, but then it wouldn't be able to say it was Italian design. And then he wouldn't be able to get what his wood from the Stratovarius. It's all part of the story. You know, it's uh, all part of the story. That's something to focus on. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm gonna start. Good, you start. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I have to find it. No, I'm just kidding. This one is called the Schildery. It's a German guy, and he is doing, like the name says, some large stuff, but mostly shields. And he's oh, Schildery. Doing... I thought you said Schildery, as in like no, 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 no. I was like, no, no, Where's no. Schildery. This feels a bit creepy. Yeah. Or in German, die Schilderei, but it's like in like medieval written. So basically what he does is he takes shields from the medieval times out of museums or photographs, and he does replicas of them. But he does it the same way they used to do it. So with the animal-based glues, with the fabric stretched over it, with the paint, with the enameling, with mixing, with egg, like i think he uses eggs egg yellows yeah. and the pigments to wow. actually mix the paint so he does everything by hand nice and yeah really really nice to watch does he catch the animals to make into glue first at least he doesn't show it <laughs> also, and, to, also, and to be fair he's also carving the wood with like the angle grinder with the, the carving ah, bit and everything yeah, yeah. but he's really particular about using the right pigments so he even yeah. t- tells the history where the pigments are from how they've been used in the medieval times so he said something about taking a break for three months i believe for his bachelor thesis so i think he's studying either history or somewhat along those lines because he's really knowledgeable about the stuff that he's building where, where did you find this guy youtube it's youtube exactly yeah. and it's called the uh, shieldery cool then it's the one i found yeah i think the last one is about a month ago yes i believe last that's video. what i saw yeah there about yes dan do you got one i have a few i was just uh, oh, going to and oh see you're, you're going full red no 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 i was going to go full james and have like five But no, you, you want to go first and I'll see whether it might mine fit into a more common theme because I don't have to have them all. I have been watching an anime, actually, which Red would be happy to hear about, but he won't, so fuck him. Vinland Saga on Netflix. It is a Viking anime depicting the years around year 1000 and onwards in England. And it's the Danelaw, the Danish invasion. King Svein is ruling. He's trying to invade England. It's about also his son, King Knut, or Prince Knut at the time. But more importantly, we are following a lad from Iceland, Turfin, who basically grows up during the war. And it is a fucking traumatic and brutal <laughs> anime. Surprise. <laughs> well, yeah, but I was, I was kind of like, this is, I, I'm, I'm not that big into the animes. It's definitely not as much as Red is. 
but there's something about like the over-the-top anime culture, how they portray things, that translates really, really well when you are talking about like absolutely larger than life Viking legendary heroes. So you have Urkil the Tall is a character, and he is in the anime twice as tall as everybody else. At the Battle of London Bridge, there's five or six guys carrying logs, one log between the lot of them, up to him. He picks it up and launches it like a human ballista at the long ships. Of course, because Japan. Yeah, but like, and, and then you go like, well, but th- that's probably a legend. That's probably a legend, exactly like that, about a guy like him. So yeah, all of the, it is very much larger than life. All of the larger strokes when it comes to history are, as far as I can tell and know, historically correct. But none of the specifics are, of course, because anime. But if you want some really brutal and hard Viking anime to watch, Vinland Saga on Netflix. There's two seasons, and I just started the second one. And also, that is pretty interesting. Okay, well, if if you're going to reference that one, then I'm going to reference this one, which will really annoy Red. Because I've been watching Dining in Dungeon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I've only been up to episode three, though. I think the first season is completely out now. No, I don't know if it, I'm, I'm, I've seen episode eight or nine or something. I, I, I thought it okay. finished and then a few more had come out. So I'm not sure how many are in the first season. So for those of you who aren't aware, it's also a Japanese, I think it was originally a manga according to Wikipedia, but it's on Netflix and the, it is very much the over the top facial expressions at certain times It is very Japanese, but it's just fun. It's just the thing of like, Hey, you know, if you're going dungeon crawling, at some point you're getting hungry, right? And what happens when you run out of food? Well, one of the guys has always been curious about what some of the monsters taste like. And I'll just leave it there. And if you've watched the first episode and you don't enjoy the first episode, I wouldn't carry on from that point. But it, it's quite fun. It's a fun kind of poke at the trope of dungeon crawling and all of the usual beasts and things that you may or may not find in there so that that's kind of like the focus on that but the the other things i want to reference first of all was the friend i was just talking about valenti guitars v-a-l-e-n-t-i is uh, luigi valenti like you don't get much more italian unless his name was luigi mario valenti you're you're getting (laughs) luigi mario toad valenti is he's he's pretty he's pretty italian but his his stuff's really nice it's got a very metal vibe to it. I think at one point he was making eight string guitars and all this kind of stuff. So, but they're, they're very attractive things worth giving him a follow on, on social media and stuff like that. And then probably the final thing that I, I have to reference for anyone, certainly in the UK is speedy fit plumbing, which are, you know, by far and above one of the best plastic plumbing systems I've ever had to work with and do genuinely make things very quick to assemble and put together without having to worry too much because the plastic plumbing that I had to replace that was supposedly unscrewable, I had to cut apart because it couldn't unscrew again. Oh. Whereas this stuff's this stuff's fine. It's just like push click. It's, it's really, it's really nice. Almost magical that. Yeah. Right. Nice. Cool stuff. Any last little tiddly bits? Yes. I hope Ooh. by the time this comes out, Red is feeling better. Well, he still be. He he didn't skip it on on like a whim this episode. No, he, he, he he's with a cold, so 
Yeah. Hope he's doing better and being his old grumpy self the next time. Oh, I didn't know well, I was I think that's be grumpy pretty... for him as well. I could have tried harder at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you you got the mic punching, and you got all uh, and you, you compensated yeah. for his lack of talking over the last ten episodes. I think we're good, and you had like, plenty of <laughs> focuses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, the only other thing I, I I meant to throw in at the beginning that I completely forgot about is that on um, Saturday just gone, I had a professional profiterole making course that I thoroughly enjoyed. Profiteroles shoe pastry, C H O U pastry. Uh, so then they make the little balls filled with uh, cream. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what you eat after you had your raclette with baguette. <laughs> yeah, but you've got it. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to get really fancy, you build them into a croc en bouche. Now you're making up words. Oh no, it's red is screaming about the pronunciation. <laughs> as soon as he hears that. Oh no, if if you want to be yeah, what you mean a croc en bouche? Oh yeah. Where can people do some friendly stalking, Dan? So at Bevelwood UK is where you would normally find me on social media. One of my old accounts is at Wonky Workshop, which is still active. I say that as if I actually post to it. I haven't done in a long time. And then if you want to listen to a more focused podcast than Two Thirds Focused, you can occasionally find myself and Red and also Heidi Jacobs on Setting Up Shop, which is a shop spelt S-H-O-P-P-E. We have one season out and we are currently recording the second season. Yes, which, which will hopefully, hopefully out by the end of March. I've just hopefully. decided. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess that's what we're aiming for now. Good. Yeah. And if you want to get a hold of us collectively, you can do that at Two Thirds Focused on any of the mostly social places. And you can find me at Rasmus Lewin and Lewinsmed.no. And you can find me at Jan Maxwell or Nodemander on YouTube's or the Instagram. Wonderful. Thank you, Dan, for being on. Uh, yes, thanks, thanks for having Dan. me. Yeah, was so I'm talking so much as if I wasn't going to. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.